you ever forget to be thankful? Yes, some of us. Today, we're going to look at one of the strangest parables that Jesus ever taught. In it, he used a dishonest, um, clever crook as the hero of the story. And he does it not because of the dishonesty. He does it because how smart this guy is. He does it for shock value. I'm going to read you several verses as we jump into this. It starts in Luke chapter 16. <clears throat> you can follow along in, if you brought your Bibles or if you have a, a smartphone, you can go to version and you can look up um, New Life Community Church or 75801-802-803 and it'll pop up and you can follow all these verses there. Starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 16. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money, so the employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, I love what the manager thinks. He thinks to himself, Now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. I love that. Any of y'all relate? Maybe you have the strength to dig ditches, but you just don't want to dig ditches. All right, you with me? He says, oh, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. I would like for this guy to be the manager of my stuff whenever I need, you know. Wouldn't you love that? You owe $5,000. Oh, just, just make $2,500. Isn't that cool? All right. The next one, he says, he asks, how much do you owe? I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. Now, I don't know why he did 800 there and didn't cut it in half. I don't know. I, that's, that's not my story. The rich, man had, the rich man, the one who owned everything, had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. He did not honor his dishonesty. He honored what? Him being shrewd. We'll talk about that in a minute. And it it is true. The children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. All right. Then Jesus continues. Here's the lesson. He says in verse nine, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Who is going to trust you with spiritual riches if you can't be trusted with earthly riches? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It doesn't say it's difficult to serve God and money. It says it's impossible to serve both God and money. Now, verse 14. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this and scoffed at him. One translation says they made fun of Jesus. Because in that day, to be blessed financially meant you were being blessed by God. Look what Jesus says. Then he said to them, you are, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. So I just have to ask this question. What does the world honor? And and you know this possessions, pleasure, power, prestige, popularity, sex, status, salary, money, lust, and power. God says those things are detestable to him. Okay. If everything we have been raised to believe is wrong, then how do we have the right mind about finances, about uh, 
physical blessings, monetary blessings. Well, it goes all the way back to our series, this transformed series. And, and I've been memorizing um, Romans 12 too in the New Living Translation. It's just a little bit different than, than what we have in our workbooks, but here it is in the New Living Translation. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then the next part of the verse, I didn't have it on here, but the next part of the verse says, then you will learn to know God's will for you. So you have to let God transform your mind, change you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will discern, you'll learn what God's will is for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And everybody I've ever asked, from from teenagers when I was a youth minister to every group I've stood in front of, and I said, how many of you would like to know God's will? Everybody raised their hands. I'd like, if there, even non-Christians would say, if there is a God, I'd like to know his will. You cannot know his will unless you have the mind of Christ, which means your mind has to be transformed. Now, before some of you get nervous, this is not a message about giving and tithing today. So just wipe your brow. It's a message about how to handle your money and to look at money the way God looks at it. Because money is one of the greatest sources of worry. Money is the number one issue in divorces. It's the number one cause of divorce. It's not till death do us part. It's till debt do us part causes all kinds of problems. Now I told you, Jesus doesn't praise this guy's dishonesty. He praises the fact that he's shrewd to be shrewd means this smart, strategic. You see a problem clearly, you know what needs to be done and you do it. Now God wants you from this story to learn how to be shrewd, biblically shrewd with your money. And he wants you to do it for the rest of your life. So first let's look at Four don'ts about money. Four things not to do with money. And then we'll get into how to see money like God does. Number one, don't waste it. The whole issue of this um, parable is Jesus tells us in verse two, the manager was wasting his employer's money. Now, folks all the time say, well, it's my money. If I want to waste it, who cares? Well, okay. If you think it's your money, let me just ask you a question. What happens to it when you die? Does it go with you? There was a lady, I read this just last week, there was a lady who had about a million dollars and she didn't want her family to get it, so she got the million dollars and she cut it up into little bitty pieces because she said, you're not getting my money. And then when the bank heard about it, the bank said, well, we'll honor all that, we'll give you the money. It was, you know, it's not gonna be like somebody else has it. So so she didn't get to keep it anyway. Even if she'd have put it in her casket, it wouldn't have done her any good. Don't waste your money. Everything belongs to God and, and if you think it's yours, when you die, it's just going to go to somebody else. So you're just using it for a while. Don't waste God's money. Number two, don't love it. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. So you can't have two number ones in your life. One time there was a boy riding in a van and his mom and dad were sitting in the front and he said, okay, dad, I got a question. You're in charge of the family, right? And he said, yes. And he said, and mom's also in charge. And he said, right. And, and the boy said, how can you both be in charge? Pretty smart, right? You can't have two number ones. You've got to choose what's going to be number one in your life. Three, don't trust it. Just a few weeks ago, I told you from this stage that it's foolish. Actually, I said it's stupid to put your hope and security in anything that can be taken away from you. I want you to see what Proverbs says about money. I love this. It says your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away. People say money talks. It does not. Money flies. And you wonder where it went, right? And, and the, uh, I want you to know that the United States government is so helpful that they've put an eagle with wings on here to remind you that it flies away. I love our government when they do things like that. 
People say, where'd it go? I don't know. I don't know. It just went somewhere. It's gone. Well, don't put your trust in things that can be gone. There's only one thing you can never lose. And that's God's love for you. Now, you can try to make God not love you. You can try to make him stop loving you, but you're going to fail because God is love. So we need to build our lives on God's love for us. So don't love it, don't trust it, don't waste it. And the last thing is don't expect it to satisfy. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money will never have enough money. Whoever loves wealth will not be satisfied with it. That's from Solomon. Now look what Jesus says in Luke 12, 15. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Your valuables do not determine your value in the kingdom of God. God says you're valuable enough that Jesus died for you. Aren't you glad that you don't have to have a minimum bank account balance to get into heaven. What, what if it was $10,000? How many of you would go to heaven? Don't raise your hands. What if it was $100,000? And, and God says, you have to have this or you don't go to heaven. God doesn't do that. Aren't you glad? Right? Yes, yes. Some of us would be in a lot of trouble. Now, question, how many of you have ever been stressed about money? How many of you have ever not been stressed about money? Okay, a few of us. How many of you have stressed about money all the time, it seems like? All right, a few of us. If you will look at money the way God does, it'll lower your stress level. Is that something you'd like to know? Something you'd like to learn? Thank you, Miss Yvonne. I love it when you talk to me. Well, if you're going to see money the way God does, you've got to remember some things. Remember, first of all, it all belongs to God. Everything is his. You don't own it. What you think you own is on loan. You didn't own it before you were born. You're not going to own it after you die. God loans it to you for however long you're on the earth. Maybe 70, maybe 80, maybe maybe in 90 years, 100 years. It was loaned to somebody else before you were born. It's going to be loaned to somebody else after you die. You get to use it. But understanding that it's not mine in the first place lowers my stress. Let's say you do this. After this service, you go out and you get in your car and you say, this is not my car. This is God's car. You go home to your house. You say, this is not my house. This is God's house. You eat uh, lunch on your dishes or even the paper plates. These are not my paper plates. This is God's. Sometimes we do that because we don't want to wash the dishes on Sunday afternoon because we can get in bed quicker for a nap, right? And, and you say, this bed, when you get into bed tonight, this bed is not my bed. It's God's bed. He's loaned it to me. I get to use it for a while. Now, if you look at it like that, how does it reduce your stress? Let's say you're driving God's car and you get into a fender bender. You say, God, your car has a dent. What do you want me to do about it? You gave me the loan, the, the money to, to buy it. What do you want me to do about it, God? Do you want me to fix it? It's your car. Doesn't that sound like your kids? Because your kids don't sweat it if they wreck your car. They may get sweat getting in trouble, but they're not sweating how to fix it, how to pay for it. That's your problem, right? Your kids need braces. God, this kid you gave me, every kid God's given me has needed braces. Hannah's about to get hers. So you say, God, this kid, your kid needs braces. You see, if I own everything and if I'm in charge of everything in my life, then I'm responsible to pay for it. But if I'm a manager of the things that God has given me in my life, then I say to God, God, this is something that I didn't expect. You knew it was going to come. What do you want me to do? Does that make sense? That lowers your stress. Now, anytime you waste money, that means you're wasting God's money. That also means that if everything belongs to God... This was, this was a revelation for me about 20 years ago. If everything belongs to God, that means every spending decision is a spiritual decision. 
because it all belongs to God and you're a manager. So we got to remember it all belongs to God. Second thing, God is using money to test me. This is a big one. God says, before I give you spiritual power, I'm going to give you some material possessions. And if I can trust you with material possessions, then I'll trust you with spiritual power. If you're not managing, managing your money well, then God says, why would I give you stuff that really matters? Because see, money shows some things about you and me. It reveals some things. First thing, money shows what I love the most. Jesus, again, I'm quoting Jesus here. He said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. He's saying that your feelings follow your money. So no matter how much money I get, the first 10% of that money goes to the church. Why? Because I love the church. Jesus Christ loved the church. I can't possibly say I'm a fully devoted follower of Christ if I do not love the things that Jesus Christ loves. So the first 10% I get, no matter how much, whether it's, it's a... Uh, tax, you know, return, whatever it is, I give 10% to the church. Then we set 10% aside for savings. And then I spend the rest on my family. I live on the rest. I spend it on my family, on hunting and fishing in that order. Why? Because those are the things I love. If you spend all your money on yourself, who do you love the most? Me, right. Thank you. That wasn't Miss Yvonne that time. That was a deeper voice. Money shows what I love most. Money shows what I trust most. Am I trusting in my bank account for my security or am I trusting in God for my security? Am I trusting in my money for happiness or am I trusting in God for happiness? Look what it says again uh, in Proverbs. Trust in your wealth and you will be a what? Failure. I know I said that too fast. Trust in your wealth and you'll be a what? According to scripture, you'll be a failure, but God's people will prosper like healthy plants. If you're saying, I don't feel close to God right now. There's no power. I'm kind of in a rut. I'm not growing. Maybe you ought to look at your bank account. When's the last time you showed any love to the bride of Christ? Money shows what I love most. It shows what I trust most. And then this one, money shows if God can trust me. Doesn't just show if, if I trust God. It shows if God can trust me. Because God says, I'm looking at how you manage your finances before I give you spiritual blessing. Because out of control finances means an out of control life. Unmanaged finances mean unmanaged life. And let me just read you those verses again. Luke 16, 20, uh, 10 and 11. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Let's say that you are the child of the richest man on the planet. And he comes to you and he says, one day, everything I have is going to be yours, but that day is not today. And he says, I'm going to give you just a little bit. Excuse me. And if you manage that little bit well, then one day everything would be yours. Would that change how you handled money? Yes, because you would want to be trusted by your earthly father with everything that he's gathered. It is exactly what Jesus Christ is saying. How I handle money determines how much God can bless my life. I didn't say it. Jesus did. I'm just repeating what he said. There is a direct connection between your spiritual maturity and how you view money. Number three, you got to remember money is a tool. It's amoral. That means it's not good. It's not bad. It doesn't have feelings. It can be used to build a great church. It can be used to finance a drug empire. It, it can be used. It's just a tool. Jesus said in verse nine, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. The Bible says we're supposed to love people and use money, but too often we get that reversed. We love money and use people. And here's the thing. The more you love money, the more you will use people. 
It's just a fact of life. Now, Jesus wants us to learn some things from this guy, not how to be dishonest, but about shrewdness. And what, how, what does he want us to learn? Three little quick things. This guy looked ahead. That's what Jesus wants us to learn, to look ahead. He was about to be fired, so he makes plans for the future. Most people never plan for the future when it comes to their finances. I was reading this week that in Europe, the average savings, the average family saves 12% of their income. So for every $100 they make, they save $12 and they live on $88. That's not bad. In Japan, it's 25%. So for every $100 they make, 25 goes into savings, they live on 75. In America this last year, Americans live on 101% of their income. That means for every $100 we make, we spend 101. Does that, does that sound, yeah, it's like, yeah, we do. <laughs> That's why we have credit cards. That's why we have debt. It's why we feel stressed about money because we're not saving and that's just not wise. Look what Proverbs says. The wise man looks ahead The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face facts. So my question to you today is what financial facts are you not facing? What's going on in your life that that you're not owning up to? Because some of us live in homes that we can't afford. It's too big. We're stressed out. We can't make the mortgage. What you really need to do, if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey, if you ever take Financial Peace University, he tells people all the time, sell the house. Well, then I'll lose money. You're already losing money. Somebody will be in this car that they can't afford. Dave Ramsey says, sell the car. Well, I'm upside down on the car. So what? You'll be less upside down if you sell it. And if you drive something that you can afford. When, when Janie and I got serious about getting out of debt, this was several years ago, we scraped together $2,500. We went to the car auction. We bought a Honda Civic with about 125,000 miles on it. We drove that Honda Civic into the ground several years later. And I mean, paint was chipped off of the, the hood. It was coming off of the, the top of the car. It got great gas mileage and it looked like junk, but I didn't care because we said, we're going to get out of, of debt. And the cool thing was several years later, we sold the car for $2,500. We were putting some money aside that whole time. We took that $2,500. We added it to more. We got a $5,000 car. And while we're driving that car, we kept saving. We kept saving. We sold that car. We put it together. We got a $10,000 car because we did not want to have a, a car payment. We haven't had a car payment in over six years. My truck that I bought for uh, my mowing business, it's, a, it's 11 years old and has 333,000 miles on it, but it runs and I was able to pay cash for it. My little Honda um, Matrix out there, it's 10 years old and has 163,000 miles on it. It's paid for. We don't want to have a car payment. So we haven't in six years. 18 months ago, we paid off our house. We have a new level of freedom that we've never had before. And we have kids in college for the next seven years. Do you think we're glad that we don't have a car and a house payment? Oh, you better believe it. Caleb's in mortuary school right now. He likes dead people better than life people. That's okay. I'm okay. We're paying for mortuary school. Rachel's in her first year of college. We're paying for that. And, and when we paid off our house, I, I said to Janie, I said, praise God that we don't have a house payment and a car payment because we're paying for college till Jesus returns. But we said to our kids, we don't want you to get a loan. We forbid you to get a student loan because, and and I'm not, you're not going to hell if you got a student loan. You're just going to pay 
forever if you got a student loan. I've got friends my age. I'm 51 years old. I graduated from college in 1986. I have friends my age who still have not paid off their student loans. To me, that's foolish. So I told my kids, I will pay for your college, but you do not get a loan. You get a loan, you're on your own. So he, uh, he, he looked ahead. He made a plan is the second thing. How do you know if you've got a financial plan? If you don't have a budget, you don't have a plan. A budget is merely a spending plan. You're telling your money where you want it to go before you, it comes in rather than wondering where it went. We're going to have FPU probably in January. It's hard to do during the, the holidays. It's, it's down to nine weeks now. It used to be a 13-week course. But we're going to have that probably offered on a Wednesday night. If you need to take Financial Peace University, you need to be thinking about that. It's $90 for a kit. And some people say, I can't afford $90. I'm telling you, you can't afford not to get it. And I'm also going to tell you, if you won't pay for the kit, you're probably not going to get serious about getting out of debt either. Because we've done this before. We've, we've offered scholarships to people. And most of the time, not all, but most of the time when we give scholarships, people don't ever finish the class. So we, we don't want to waste $90 if you're not going to take it seriously. The Bible says we should plan. Proverbs 16, 9. We should make plans. And then the, what comes after that dash? Counting on who to direct us? God. Yes. A lot of times we make plans, but God's the one who determines whether it comes out or not. So he looked ahead, he made a plan and he acted quickly. He didn't procrastinate. Did you know that Christmas comes the same day every year? It's always December 25th. And I hear people all the time say, I don't have enough money for Christmas presents. Why didn't you start a year ago? We have an envelope. Janie just puts money every month in that envelope. And then when it comes time to buy Christmas presents, I don't even ask, I don't even care how much we have because don't spend more than what's in the envelope. Doesn't that seem smart? And, and we've been dirt poor. We used to work at the party station. We called it the Christmas tax. Every Friday night, Janie and I would work there and we would take that money and put it in an envelope because I never saw a dime of it. We gave 10% to God and the rest of it we, we used for Christmas presents when we first started this church because we couldn't afford Christmas. So I understand that, but we said, let's do this better. Let's have some envelopes. Let's put that in there and then pay cash for it. It just makes a lot of sense. That's smart. Now, remember a fourth thing. The best use of money is to get people into heaven. Jesus said, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. He's not saying you can buy your way into heaven because salvation is a free gift. The Bible says in in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, salvation is by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. It's a free gift. You can't earn your way into heaven. What he is saying is when I use my money to help people come into the kingdom of God, I'm making friends for eternity. One day you're going to die. Wouldn't it be cool if when you got to heaven, there's a hundred people lined up saying, I'm here because of you. You took the kingdom of God so seriously that you did something about it. Whether that's compassion children. And I have three compassion kids. We got one in, in uh, uh, Ghana, um, over in, in the African continent, and we've got two in Haiti. And wouldn't it be cool if the money that we give, the $38 a month we give for each of those kids, wouldn't it be cool if not only they got medicine and education, but they hear about Jesus. That's why I go through compassion because in their schools, they, they learn about Jesus. They write us letters and tell us what they've been learning in school. Wouldn't it be cool whether I meet them in this life or not, if someday I get to heaven, they say, the only reason I'm here is because compassion. Wouldn't that be awesome? Or our mission trips when we go back and forth to, to Haiti, whatever it is, is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? 
because of the way you used your finances, finances, or did you just use it on yourself? And, and what I want to encourage you today is start living today so that you have no regrets. And, and I've told you this before, but when my parents died, I cried. I went out to the place where they, they died several times. They, the, my brother-in-law lost control of the car and hit a telephone pole. Mom, dad, and sis died instantly. And, and every time I would go home, I would drive over there and I would, I would go sit because there's this telephone pole and then there's just open space around it. And I would sit out there and everybody probably thought I was nuts because I'm out there crying. I wept over that, but I have no regrets because I went on 10 different vacations with my parents. I saw my parents all the time, went on vacations with my sister and there was nothing left that I needed to say. I'd already told them I loved them. I already told them I'd see them in heaven. I already made sure they were Christ followers. Why don't you start living today so that you have no regrets when you stand before God? Because that brings me to the next thing you got to remember. You will give an account to God. That's what this story is teaching. God's going to do an an audit of my life, of your life. And it's not just about finances. It's about everything. What did you do with what you were given, your talents? God gives you talents for a reason. Yes, it may be to make people feel good, but mainly it's to serve in the kingdom of God. God gives you relationships, your opportunities, your mind, your creativity. All of that is on loan to you from God, and you will answer to God for how you used it. Now, it will not determine whether you go to heaven or not, but it will determine what kind of rewards you get in heaven and what job you get in heaven. God's entrusted you as a manager. So he's going to ask you, what'd you do with your mind? What'd you do with your body? What'd you do with your health? What'd you do with the freedom? Did you spend it on yourself? Because if you're a selfish person, God's not going to give you more stuff. And then the last one, this is, this is probably the biggest thing you need to take out of here. If I'm faithful in a little bit, God can trust me with much. If God's given you a little bit of talent, you don't say, I'm not, I'm not super talented, so I'm not going to do anything. You use what little talent you have. You know what God does? He blesses you with more talent. You, you say, I have a little bit of influence. You use what little bit of influence you have. God's going to give you more influence. You say, I've got a little bit of money, but I'm going to do this money the way God says to do money. I want to use it wisely. Then God's going to increase your possessions. It's true of opportunities, net worth. It's true of everything in life. Jesus said this in Matthew 25, 29. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. I want you to have an abundance in every area of your life. But in order to do that, you've got to use the things that God's given you the way that God wants you to use them. And I don't know how many times I've been doing this 30 something years, how many times I've heard somebody say, well, when, when I hit it big or when I get this job or when I start making this much a year, then I'm going to start tithing. And my answer is always the same. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because if you're not faithful in small things, God says you're not going to be faithful in in large things. And by the way, this is just a little free thing. (laughs) Whenever I'm looking at presidential candidates, I do this. I look at how much they give to charities because they make lots and lots of money. And I don't want somebody in the White House who doesn't give because that represents your heart. And, and I, I shared this several years ago, but, but several people that have been in the White House give less than 1% of their income to charitable organizations. To me, that says that's a shriveled heart that cannot be trusted with anything else. That's what God is saying. If you're faithful with little, God can trust you with more. So my challenge is be faithful. Start today being faithful. Bow your heads for just a moment. Once you think about those things to remember, 
how to view money the way God does. There's six things, and, and I'm going to I'm going to say them real quickly, and I want you to ask God which one do you want me to focus on today. The first is everything belongs to God. Second one, God uses money to test me. Third one I shared with you, money is a tool. Fourth is the best use of money is to get people into heaven. Five is I will give an account of God to, for everything in my life. And the sixth one was I will give, uh, if I'm faithful with little, God can trust me with much. I want you just to say, God, which one of those have I been neglecting? Would you pray that silently? Father, I pray that, that we would become people who are real. That when we say yes, we mean yes. When we say no, we mean no. That, that God, when you look at our talents, you can say that we are using them for your kingdom. When you look at our opportunities, you say we're using them for your kingdom. When you look at our finances, our possessions, God, we want to be a type of people that, that you can trust with those. And, and you can say those are being used to build up my kingdom. Because that's what matters. Make this church like that, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.